Today is week two in our sermon series, walking through Paul's letter to the church in Colossians. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed in the sermon bumper, but I titled this sermon series, The Word Thanks Living. And no, that's not a typo or an error that uh, one of us made in the sermon bumper. That's actually the word that I wanted to use. One of the beautiful things about being a theologian is that I actually get to make up words that represent biblical things, that explain biblical concepts, words that don't necessarily exist, but they capture the meaning of something. And, And so I wanted a word that captured the heart of Paul's letter. And there are really two main points that Paul is hammering uh, through to the church in Colossae. And that is to always be thankful and to not just be thankful, but to live a life full of thanksgiving to Jesus. And so the word thanks living actually captures in one word the heart of this letter that we're looking at today. Now, I'm not actually sure that I made it up. It could have been a word that I heard somewhere, but I have no idea. I just felt that the word thanks living together, not separate words, but one word together, actually captures the posture of the kind of church Paul wants us to be. A church that lives in thanks living in everything that they do. Now, this is the main advice that Paul has to his young church in Colossae, and it's also the main advice that he's also giving us through this writing. Now, as we saw last week in Paul's opening prayer, this powerful prayer that he gave us, he prays for the church to seek three very specific things, three things that are at the core of of who a church should be. That we as a church should be seeking the knowledge of God's will in everything. And that as a church, we should also be seeking spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then to top it all off, we are to be seeking great endurance and patience because those are two things that we're going to need to last through living in a world like we live in today. Each of these things can only be experienced when the church lives their lives fully, what Paul says, is in Christ. Now, to be fully in Christ means that we actually can't separate our spiritual life from our everyday life. It means that we don't go to church. It actually means that we are the church in all things, that we are the church in everything that we do. You see, our priorities as followers of Jesus is to follow Jesus in everything we do. When we're at work, we're following Jesus. When we're parenting our kids, we're to be following Jesus. When we're in the line at the grocery store, we're to live a life that is following Jesus. You see, everything that we do is merged together with Jesus at the center. This is Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae, that they would learn God's will, which for all of us is to live our lives for him and in him. That's the will of God, that we would just live our lives for him, that he would be the centerpiece of who we are. And then he says we can receive the spiritual wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit because we are living our lives, what Paul says, is in the Spirit. And it's the same spirit that will give us the endurance and the patience that we need to live our lives in a posture of thanksgiving.
will be the, the, the will literally be the definition of thanks living in everything that we do. Now, in today's passage, Paul continues to encourage this young church, but he, he kind of shifts away from, from praying for things that they need as a successful church, and he moves into talking about things that they need to understand who Jesus is in a deeper way. Now, Paul does this with one of the most theologically rich uh, Christological poems ever actually written. Essentially, Paul uses the structure of a poem to communicate who he believes Jesus Christ to be in his life and in our life as the church. And this passage sets up Paul's entire understanding of who Jesus is and why we should worship Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, why we should give up our entire lives to follow him. Now, there are three key highlights from Paul's poem. And the first key highlight that Paul gives us in this poem is found in the very first verse. In ch chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, the son, of the, image, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. You see, by looking at Jesus... Paul says, we discover who God actually is. Paul says that Jesus was more than just a man, more than just a teacher. He was literally a man who showed us who God is, who God is like, what God is like, what his nature, his being is like. And by looking at Jesus, Paul says, we discover who God is, his very nature. Now, you see, no one has ever actually seen God. In all of Scripture, no one has seen God. Actually, the Israelites feared seeing God because then they would be put to death. So no one has seen God until Jesus came in the flesh. And now we have seen God in his human form, in what Scripture says, in human likeness. So the Greek word ekonon literally means the image in a mirror. That's the word that is used for image. It literally means an, a mirror image. The sun is a mirror image of the invisible God. It's kind of like sitting in a waiting room. So I want, to, want you to picture this. You walk into a room, so through the first door, and you enter into a room, and there are seats there, and you're able to sit down, uh, and you're in the middle of a waiting room. And there's another, there's an opening that would lead you over to another room, but you're sitting in this first room. And you can sense the presence of someone else sitting in the room beside you, but you can't see them. You know they're there, you can sense that they're there, uh, but you can't see them through the wall that's in the way. Jesus is like putting a mirror on the wall between the openings of the room. If we look over at that mirror on the wall between the openings in the room, we would then actually be able to, through a mirror image, see the person sitting in the next room. And now we don't just know by feeling that someone is there, we've actually seen the person through the lens of the mirror. 
We know a lot more about this person because we've now actually seen their mirror image. You see, folks, Jesus is the mirror for us to be able to see God. Now, Jesus actually confirms this for us. So this isn't just something that Paul came up with on his own. Jesus actually confirms this in his teaching. We have a story in the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, where he's talking to one of his disciples. In John chapter 14, he's talking to his disciple Thomas, and Thomas questions everything. And so Thomas is questioning Jesus about seeing the Father and about knowing the way. Thomas is concerned that he just doesn't know the way without Jesus being present. And listen to how Jesus answered him. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. So, so he doesn't fully get what Jesus is saying, right? Like Jesus already said, if you see me, you see the Father, you see him in me. And Philip's like still not really grasping this. And so he says, well, show us the Father. That'll be enough. That's all you need to do. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Paul is telling the church in Colossae that Jesus Christ is God in human form. That this is something that's extremely important for them to understand. This is why he goes on in his letter, moving into verse 16, to further qualify what he's talking about. In verse 16 to 17, he says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, Jesus, Paul says, holds together the entire world. You see, he is the Lord of all creation. So we have this mirror image of God where Jesus is showing us God, but it's not just him showing us God's nature and who God is in the flesh, but Jesus is actually literally the one who was there in the beginning that's holding all of this together. He was part of creation there in the beginning, all the way back in Genesis, Jesus Christ was there. So much so that all things were created, the passage says, through him and for him. Now, this is important because it shows the church that, that Christ is literally God in the flesh. That he is the creator of all things, the glue that holds everything together. This means that when Jesus teaches folks, he's not just showing us God's nature, he's also teaching us what God wants us to know. He knows the bigger picture. Jesus knows the bigger picture, the complexities of life that we just simply don't understand. 
And then Jesus, the, the Jesus that we follow, he's not just some great teacher or great person. He is literally the creator of everything that he is teaching us about. Now Paul goes on to now wrap up his poem with a bang. Listen to what he says, starting at verse 18 of Colossians chapter 1. He says, and now he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to, to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now that's a major passage right there in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That means that God is not against the human flesh. What the flesh is, the nature of the flesh, is being overtaken by the ways of the world. But the body itself is actually from God. So much so that it pleased him to have his fullness dwell in a human body. He says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. Now this passage wraps up Paul's understanding of who Jesus is by explaining to the church what authority Jesus actually has. You see, Jesus is the blueprint of our humanness. He's the head of the church, Paul says. He's the one who is in charge of the church. He is the one who's leading the church. Paul sees Jesus as the ultimate authority over the church. He's the head of the church, the mirror image of God, but in human form, who holds all supremacy. Now, this word, this doctrine of supremacy of Christ, it's based on the Bible's explanation of the authority of Jesus and his God nature. And so that's essentially what Paul is working through. What is the authority of Jesus, and was he really God? Essentially, to affirm the supremacy of Jesus, which Paul is doing in this passage, you're affirming that Jesus is God in the flesh. It means that Jesus is the highest in rank. He is the number one, the supreme, the highest degree of quality. There literally is no one better than Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews explains this clearly in its opening chapter in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name in his inheritance is superior to theirs. You see, 
to Paul, Jesus holds all authority in heaven and earth. He is the authority over the church. He is the authority over our lives. And he is the authority even over the angels. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. That's what Paul is emphasizing here. He is literally the perfect image of humanity as we were originally created. Human without sin's corruption. Jesus is the blueprint for us to grasp what genuine humanness the gospel actually calls us to be. And it's because of his perfection and his sacrifice on the cross that we can be made right with God. We can have peace with God because Jesus has reconciled us to him. You see, folks, God came in the flesh and gave up his life for us. This is the message that Paul is giving the church. And frankly, it's the most important message that we will ever receive. And so Paul wants to be clear when he explains it. This is Paul's, what we call in theology, his Christology, his understanding of who Jesus is. It's, it's really emphasizing who Paul believes Jesus is and how, what kind of authority and the importance of the work of the cross that Paul believes Jesus accomplished. Jesus is not just a great teacher. He was that, but he's not just a great teacher. He's not just a great guy who was nice to people and performed miracles, even though he was that and he did that. He's not simply a good guy who did things that we should see as an example that we try to follow. Jesus Christ, folks, is literally the creator of the heavens and earth. He is the perfect image of God, showing us not just how to act and what ethics to have, but he's actually showing us who God is. And he is the perfect authority in all things, holding together the entire universe, the earth and the heavens. Yet, because Jesus was also a man, it means that God now understands everything that we experience as well. Think about that. Jesus, who is fully God but fully man, now understands everything that we have ever experienced. There's nothing that we have experienced that God has literally not experienced himself. He has been tempted by power. He has been tempted to live life in sin, yet he chose death over all of these things. You see, Paul teaches us in his opening chapter to the church in Colossae. He teaches, he teaches them this about Jesus because it's literally the most important thing that we could ever understand in our lives. It's what creates transformation when you realize who Jesus Christ actually was and is today because he's still alive. You see, the world around us has many gods. That might sound kind of weird, right? We, we know of Greek mythology and back in Jesus' time where they had many gods, but I would actually say that today, many of us, even Christians, actually worship other gods and we don't even know it. We worship the god of money. 
We worship the God of power and prestige. And often our lives are driven by the the God of greed and pride. And so Paul, he points out that the Jesus that we have given our lives to as the church, he is much bigger than all of those gods. He's much bigger than the Greek gods that these, these pagans who have been transformed into the church that they would have followed. He's much bigger than those gods, and he's much bigger than all the gods that we would have today. Actually, Jesus is the one who's in authority over our money. It's not even our money, it's his. He's in authority over our power. He's in authority over our drive for pridefulness. This is the Jesus that we follow. God in the flesh. Not just some small God who we think provides us with some sort of fulfillment. To Paul, the only way to finding true life is by following the ways of Jesus. Because Jesus was God in the flesh. In simple words, folks, this passage in Colossians says that Jesus is a really big deal. And it's a privilege to follow him in everything that we do. So as we go today, I want to challenge you to reflect on the fact that God has made himself known to us through Jesus. And if God has made himself known to us through Jesus, the number one thing that that all Christians should be passionate about is spending time with that Jesus, getting to know that Jesus, because that's how we get to know God. And so I want to ask you today, how much time do you spend getting to know Jesus? Is this your number one priority in life? Do you read his word? The gospel narratives that tell us so much about him and who he was and and essentially reading the gospel as our manuscript for life. You see, this is Paul's desire for, for the church. That Jesus Christ would be the most important person in your life. That's Paul's actual desire. He wants Jesus to be the most important person in in your life. He wants Jesus to be over your kids. He wants Jesus to be over your spouse. He wants Jesus to to be over all things. He wants him to be the number one thing of all of your life and everything you live and do. And his reason for this is really simple. Because Jesus Christ is literally the most important person to have ever walked this earth. And he wants to know each of us personally. He's beyond any celebrity or any person that we've dreamt of meeting. You have actually met and know the most important person in our lives. It's Jesus. He's a really big deal. Paul wants each of us to give up our old life so we can live the thanks-living life, fully surrendered to Jesus Christ as our Lord. He wants us to give away our power instead of seeking power. He wants us to surrender our pride so that we can know Jesus more and more each day as we surrender more and more of our sinful self. So as we go today, 
Make sure you spend some time pondering this simple question. How big is Jesus in your life? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this amazing teaching that Paul has blessed the church with. A teaching that helps us to understand who your son truly was and is. That all things were created in him and through him. That you came in the flesh, in human form, to be in a relationship with us, to die for us, to give your life on a Roman cross so that we could get to know you, so that we could learn the things that you want us to learn through your scriptures, through your word, through your presence. And so, Lord, I pray that Jesus would be the centerpiece of all of our lives, that he would be the most important person that we would ever know, that we would ever imagine to know, and that we would be motivated by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit to draw closer to him, and to passionately want to get to know him more because he is our mirror image of you. And so, Father, help us to know Jesus. Help his presence to be a deep part of our lives. And help us to live a thanks-living life, to live our life in the light that attracts people from the darkness. In Jesus' name. Amen.